Hi, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. In today's podcast, we're going to focus on capability mapping primarily. So Rick Merrifield has joined me. He is an enterprise transformation consultant, a published author, and he's done a lot of cool stuff that has actually impacted my daily life. So Rick, thank you for taking time out of your day. Um, could you talk a little bit about your background before we get into the main topic? Sure. Uh, thanks, Dave. And it's, it's good to be here. Um, I have kind of a, um, an unusual background. I uh, spent a long time at Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture, and then I worked for a customer relationship management a software vendor called Onyx that's not around anymore. Uh, and then I did some strategy consulting, and then I landed at Microsoft, and that was when I really got into the capability modeling work. They had come up with some models um, for a, a sort of representation of a generic business and all of the different activities or capabilities that made up that business. Uh, it was called the module map and they, uh, big map it printed out on a four foot by four foot poster that had about a, a thousand little boxes on it nested in parent child relationship format. And then they, they, they did an overlay of a bunch of different third, then third party software vendors to understand what kind of software was used for a typical business for different capabilities. And that map was used to inform a $6 billion acquisition um, uh, uh, stretch for Microsoft. And they bought a bunch of companies, including including Great Plains Software, which is now their CRM core. Right. Uh, but, but the module map survived, and they kept using it and saying, oh, this map of capabilities, they would take it to customers and say, okay, let's use this. Even though this map is not specific to you, let's or because it's got some you know, a lot of boxes that they, you know you, rec- you recognize in terms of you know creating products and services and sales and marketing and delivery and so on and so forth. Um, let's let's talk about where you are in this business and how we can help. And the customers would say, "Wow, that's that's really a cool map, and it's different from the process maps that we have, and it's different from other stuff." Could you could you customize one of those maps for us? And so that led me down the path of doing the capability modeling and mapping work and filed a bunch of patents to get really to be specific about how capability modeling is different from process mapping and other uh, approaches Um, and did that for a long time. And that was when, you know, the books and the magazine articles and stuff came out and then left Microsoft and got more onto the customer experience side of things. Uh, being on the, the uh, product management side of the Disney Magic Band and Starbucks Mobile Order and Pay, um, and then helping to, to link that to some of their organizational goals. And so here I am uh, now helping Leading Agile uh, with some of the things that they care about. Okay, so we're going to probably talk, hopefully at another time, about the Disney Band, because that is really cool. And I would just like to thank you for all the hours of my life you've given me back with mobile pay because I love being able to order my drink before I go into the Starbucks. Um, so when I introduced the topic, I said capability mapping. And when you started to talk about it, you talked about modeling. So if I want to make sure that I'm not talking about this in a way that's going to make everyone know that I'm a total imposter, is it is it capability modeling or capability mapping or does it not matter what you call it? It doesn't matter. Okay, so I'm going to try to dumb this down and tell me how close I am. At a very basic level, what you are doing is creating some sort of flowchart or diagram of all the things the company wants to be able to do and then figuring out where the missing pieces of that puzzle were or are. Um, what, I'll, what I'll usually do um, is, because uh, I've been doing this for so long, I've got a lot of industry templates. Okay. 
because a, a capability is a at its simplistic level is a is a depiction of what somebody does, like an activity or an outcome, like pay employees or withdraw funds from a bank account or something like that. So it's usually a verb and a noun. And the capabilities in a given business in a given industry are usually have a very high percentage of commonality. So if you're in retail banking, the capabilities of a retail bank are kind of going to be identical no matter yeah. where you are. Same with a grocery store, same with a, um, you know, you name the, you know, a, an oil and gas company, um, a manufacturer, the, the, the capability, what they, what they do is the same. It's the how they do it uh, is where is where they differentiate. And so we'll uh, I'll start with an usually a template that's an inventory of these capabilities and uh, meet with people one on one to to refine that because because everybody has you know slightly different labels for some of the different things that they do, which is fine. Uh, and then very quickly get into a discussion of uh, value and performance. So. If you could, if everybody can say, yeah, those are our capabilities, and that's not very controversial. Uh, once you start saying, well, what are the things that are most valuable to this? You know, why are people doing business with this company? Why are employees coming to work here? What really differentiates them uh, is a set of questions, uh, and we'll start to produce heat maps, some so red, yellow, green thermal diagrams uh, of the capabilities, and then we'll also say, well, how are they currently performing? And you usually have to start without with assertions rather than hard metrics to say, okay, if, but if, if we can quickly get to a picture of, you know, high and low business value capabilities and high and low performing capabilities uh, very quickly, then we can get to a discussion of, well, what should we be working on? Are we working on the right stuff? Um, what defines our brand and our identity? What should we be investing in from a customer experience perspective? What are things that aren't working very well that we can ignore because they're not that important to our brand or, our performance or, or why employees or, or partners work with us. So that's, that's sort of is the, the, when we, when I get going, we'll start with an existing inventory of, or map of capabilities and then refine that to personalize it for the organization and then quickly get into the heat mapping of business value and performance. And we'll do other things like change velocity. How quickly should something be changing? How frequently should it be changing? Risk is another common one we'll add to the heat map. And so that's uh, what we'll dive into pretty quickly. Okay, so I want to try to walk through an example, if that's okay, because I was trying to think through this while you were talking about it. Let's say that I'm an airline. Yeah. Uh, I want to be able to offer passengers transportation. I want to be able to give them a seat, maybe give them a meal. Um, but you're always, in this case, it's diff you're focusing on what the company wants to offer, not what the customer wants to receive, right? No, it's both. So, so okay. the so what the company does, you know, presumably that there's an awareness of who their customer is on the outside. So, and, I, and I'll, there's a, a an example I often tell in the airline space. So, it's, I'm glad you brought up that example. Um, the, the, when I was working at Microsoft, a, an airline called up and said, "Hey, um, we want to improve the way we uh, we have our our customers check in for their flights." Okay. And and so the initial response was. Oh, let's let's look at airline best practices for flight check-in. And I said, well, hang on, let's, let's let's before we do that, let's talk about what are the capabilities that make up checking in for a flight. The uh, the first step I call uh, confirming a reservation. So you're you're you, whether you're at a kiosk or talking to a, a, an airline employee, you confirm that you have a reservation. 
and that manifests itself usually in getting a boarding pass. Okay. Uh, you also conduct a survey usually, or historically you've had to conduct a survey that relates to whether you, you're, you're a safe traveler. And then uh, there's, there's often an element of uh, managing logistics, which would be, do you have luggage and you have to check in some luggage as part of the check-in process. So, so if, if, you, if you see checking in for a flight as a, as a combination of those three capabilities, which are about a reservation, a survey, and logistics, none of those by themselves has anything to do with an airline. So, so if you're looking to okay. optimize the way you check in for a flight, who's best at reservations? Well, you're going to look at hotels and restaurants and people that are known for reservations. Wow. Who's best at, who's best at surveys? And you, you, again, you're not going to jump to the airlines. You're going to think of other companies. You know, Gallup is a polling organization that does surveys. You know, who, who's really good at surveys? And then who's good at the kind of logistics that, you know, small package logistics, like what, how on intake and the, yeah. at the check-in. So that's, that's the kind of conversation I'll have with customers to sort of help them uh, remove the horse blinders, if you will, so to get out of their own head or get out of their own company to say, okay, what are the – as a capability, whatever it is yeah. that we're talking about in the airline world, checking in happens to be a great example where you can strip away things. So you're, it's not in that case, it's not an airline specific problem. It's it's a capability where you have the opportunity to look outside of the industry like reservations. Sure. Uh, yeah. Right. So, so it, ch- it changes the kind of conversation you have when somebody says, Oh, we've got this problem or this opportunity. We want to invest in this area. It changes the way you talk about investing in it. Not just once you've had the value performance conversation, but then also when you look for ideas for who does that thing well or right. better, if you're looking to differentiate, helps you go outside quickly, get out of your own industry uh, when you realize a lot of the capabilities you do are not unique to your industry, even though the way you talk about them usually yeah. they are. That's very cool. So can you can you contrast that to process mapping with that same example? Yeah. So, so, um, so from a from a process perspective, I'll just stick with that example for checking in for a flight. Uh, you know, we're all right now. There, there's sort of three primary ways that we're familiar with it. You can, and most of us will go to a kiosk today at the airport and you know enter our our mileage plan number or you know some confirmation number or something, and go through a couple of steps and get a boarding pass, and we're on our way to the next step, which is TSA. You can still go to the counter and talk to the airline employee. Um, uh, and that's, so it's a different person doing the work. They're probably using different technology and they still seem to, you know, type in hundreds of keystrokes when they're doing it as opposed to the <laughs> yes. two or three touches at the kiosk. And I haven't quite figured out why that's, <laughs> but you can also do, well, you can also but check they in still on have the, the dot matrix printer. They've got to get the thing out of the right. first thing you like right. keystroke. Right. Right. So, so each of the, those, so checking in for the flight by the web or the kiosk or through the airline employee, each of those is a different process. So how I do the work, the steps involved, who's doing it, the technology involved, that's an implementation of the capability. So the, the process is how I implement the capability, which is the what I'm doing. Okay. So people tend to come at this one or the other, and, and the process mapping is sort of the more traditional way of looking at it. But what you're trying to do is help them to see that there's, I guess, maybe crack their heads open a little bit so they can see things from a different perspective, look outside their field. Yeah, I don't typically talk about cracking people's heads open, well, but 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 um, crack it open the other, in the sense that they're closed and used to seeing things a certain way. You said remove the blinder. Yeah, yeah. but the, the other thing about process is it tends to have a pretty short half life compared to 
uh, a capability. And by that, I mean, it changes pretty frequently. Okay. And so, uh, whereas, you know, in the case of airlines, you're always going to have people checking in for flights, right? You didn't always have the kiosk. You didn't always have that process. And so when you're doing before and after comparison, so let's say we, um, uh, today is Monday and we want to do a current state, current state heat map of how this organization is today. And we would like to design how we think the organization will be performing at some future state, say six months from today. If we do that with pr process as our sort of anchor uh, the, for, for before and after, there's a good chance some of the processes will, will be different in six months. So the before and after comparison will be a little bit foggy, whereas if we anchor it in capabilities, the capabilities will not have changed as capabilities. So the, the before and after comparison will hold up and be have sort of more uh, fidelity than it would in a lot of cases with process. So, so when people say, well, should we do process mapping or capabilities? I say it's not an either or conversation. I say that because the capabilities are a much more durable lens, you, I'd start with that. And then when it's time to start really getting specific about when you're going to make a change, then do the process map to under, really understand how it's being done today so that you can be explicit about you know, where change is and is not going to happen. Uh, but because it's got that short half-life, if you do, you do process map of everything today, a lot of those things are going to be out of date in six months and either got to redo them or they're going to be wrong or both. Okay. Um, so I, I want to ask a question about this for a second. So part of my understanding before, and it may be incorrect about capability mapping, was that a portion of it was helping us understand not just maybe what um, – what services are we providing that we could look outside our field to find a better way to do it, but that would also help us find gaps in our abilities as an organization. Maybe yep. down, even down to the level of we don't have a Java guy or whatever that is. Um, if, if I get to the level of process mapping, like let's, so I've done capability mapping now because it makes sense, I'm going to do some kind of process map. Can that also surface gaps capability-wise? That like, oh, we need to go fix that piece. We don't. We're missing that part. Yeah, yeah. So, so certainly when you when you get because process is a, a an implementation view of a capability, you will, uh, as you're stepping through it, find things will emerge if there's a gap or an, or an overlap. If you're if there's a redundancy or a gap in the sequence or steps or uh, technology interface or so any of the things that need to come together. Uh, in this day and age to implement something, yeah, that, that the process map is, 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 is often a place where, where those gaps will, will surface. Okay. And if, if I am an airline, let's say that I've, I've got maps for my entire business, every portion yep. of it. Um, how, how fluid are those things? Like how often, I mean, you said that they, they tend to persist um, through changes in the organization, but how often do I need to be coming back and revisiting these and checking in to see whether or not they're still workable? Well, you so um, just because they're durable doesn't mean that they don't change. So the um, the perform you want the performance of the capabilities to change often. Okay. The capabilities okay. themselves are not going to change. So so the, the airline has always had the capability to check passengers in for flights. That's that capability has always existed. The using a kiosk and a web are new implementations of that capability, right? And so and they can measure each of them. Uh, from a performance perspective. Now, it turns out um, that, that each of those implementations serves a slightly different purpose. Um, 
certainly the, 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 the ultimate goal is to get everybody checked in for a flight who's going to go, but that also helps from a distribution of a flow perspective. So if you've got to check in 200 people for a flight, if you can get half of them to use the kiosk, and then only half as many people have to go through the line and talk to an airline employee, that reduces the burden or the amount of work that's required of the airline employee to check people in. So you're, you're moving work around uh, in, in, implement, in offering multiple implementations of that capability. And then there are also uh, instances of customer satisfaction. So I happen to prefer to, to not talk to airline employees when I check in for flights for a variety of reasons. So because I, that gives me the control to check in on my own, not have to talk to anybody, um, that's also, from a customer experience perspective, improving my experience on that uh, particular travel experience. And so, so there are a lot of different ways to uh, measure and, and, uh, a, a given capability in terms of not only its value to the business, but also from a customer experience perspective. Um, you know, what are we doing if we offer a new implementation of the capability? And if each of them gets measured separately from a performance perspective, if I say if I want to invest in, you know, we're not able to check passengers in fast enough, which of those implementations would I be likely to invest in and why to improve that? So yeah. the, they talk about the book Freakonomics sometimes that really introduced the idea of causality into sort of people's day-to-day conversation uh, and the difference between correlation and causality, the capability conversation, especially when you nest the capabilities from a parent-child perspective, el- allows you to to have that kind of a causality conversation. Say, well, if I improve the way people check in for a flight and I and I choose the kiosk implementation, is that going to cause the overall uh, system, the overall business, to perform better? And why? And, and I can have at least have that conversation in a more rigorous way than I, I, I was able to before and in other representations of the business. Yeah, this is really interesting to me because you and I both have the same goal and completely different ways of approaching it. And I'm, and I'm going to explain mine and then ask you how a company would decide who to favor. So you want to okay. get through that process without talking to anybody. And I want to talk to somebody because I only fly one airline, so I get in the priority lane. And my experience has been that every time I go to the kiosk, somebody who doesn't know I'm priority is giving me crap because my suitcase is too heavy. And I'm like, no, I'm priority. And then I'm in an argument because they don't believe me or whatever. Um, and they don't put the little orange sticker on my suitcase. So I leave angry. But after that, I don't want to talk to anybody. And you don't want to talk to anybody the whole time. So how does the airline decide which passengers to support the most or which ones to lean toward? Ah, that's a good question. So um, that that gets in the question of being able to know which customers are most and least valuable, uh, and and not every, not very many organizations are good at that today, unfortunately. Um, so from an uh, airline perspective, uh, there are two kinds of valuable customers. There's the um, let's say uh, Dave, you and I fly from New York to Los Angeles. Uh, every other week for business. Yeah, uh, you are a plan ahead guy, and you book way in advance every flight. Yeah, uh, so you get you get a great price. Uh, I don't. I wait until the last minute every time. Uh, so instead of your your three hundred dollar round trip, I pay twelve hundred dollars every time I fly. Sure. So you and I both fly the same number of miles, but our uh, spend is radically different. So 
uh, or the number of miles we fly, we're, we're, we're both going to be in the same mileage tier, gold, silver, platinum, whatever for the, for our respective airline. Um, so in that sense, we're no different. But because I'm more profitable, the airlines should know that, and they should treat me differently because I'm so much more profitable for them. All right, but hold, uh, I want to hold on right now because if I'm the plan ahead guy, I'm less touch. I'm I'm going to take up less time because I get it all done. I'm not going to bug them. If you're that last minute guy, you're kind of a pain in the ass when you come because you want everything last minute. And you didn't plan ahead and you're stressed out. Um, you're the high maintenance customer, are you? Not necessarily. I, I can. Okay. So my airline happens to be Alaska Airlines, and I know I can go online. No, I don't talk to anybody, and I use their online app you know, utility yeah. for, for booking a flight. And it takes me maybe 30 seconds to book a flight. I haven't talked to anybody. Okay. I get my ticket, probably get upgraded. And I get, uh, you know, my, my, um, little icon on my mobile phone. So I don't have to print out a boarding pass if I don't want to. And I don't talk to anybody, but they know I'm MVP gold, which is their, you know, taxonomy for people sure. who are frequent. Um, and I, and I know that they're going to, you know, recognize me by name on the flight and offer to buy me a drink and, you know, all the kinds of stuff that I like to be recognized for. So, no, I, I'm not a high maintenance. But but do they, I guess where I was going is, do they track that kind of information? Like, let's say that in this case, you are low touch, so you are super low cost and you're paying a lot more money. But if I am the last minute customer who's paying that same amount of money, but costing them half that back in service fees because I'm sucking up the time of, you know, one person or another who I'm burning out and they're being nasty to other customers do they know that as well i don't think they do today but i think that's one of the the trends that we'll see soon is that uh with all the stuff about big data uh yeah. some of which is nonsense a lot of the good goodness that's going to come out is actionable analytics where they will know how much do we know about this customer how much do we know about what they like and don't like what their mood is, uh, what their likelihood of willingness or interest in spending more money, all of those things, they're going to not only know it, but also prompt the employee or whoever's interacting with them with the right thing to say. Yeah. Uh, and, and like proactively. So they're going to be able to say, uh, maybe they're, you're going to have some kind of a, a beacon on your mobile phone. So they're going to see Dave coming at the airport and they're going to know, Hey, there comes one of our most valuable customers he always has his big luggage. Let's proactively go give him his, his large luggage ticket sticker thing he needs to move along his way. Let's surprise him and delight him. They're gonna let's, let's put his guitar in the closet without having to beg for it. That would be an, enough. All that. <laughs> That's all coming, and it's all going to be pretty soon. Okay. Because uh, the information is out there uh, from a touchpoint perspective. And then uh, because increasingly the, the information is going to be real-time – uh, that will also change in terms of the level of detail they have about us. So I, I know I'm going to go a little off the track right now, but I want to ask this question anyway, since you're somebody who has a lot of knowledge about this. That allows for a much more customized user experience, which I would think yes. is a very positive thing. But the downside of it is, and I'm going to use supermarkets as an example, it takes away some of your choice. Like I know that in a supermarket, they have enough data that they can say, well, if we put this item on sale by seven cents, it's going to trigger this thing that's going to cause them to buy six other things because they have all that data. So great that I get a discount and maybe they even you know show it on my shopping cart, but now I'm their pawn that they've just put in another cattle chute. Um, does that worry you at all? <laughs> do, you, do you have any thoughts about that? Am I just being too paranoid about it? 
No, no, I, I think, you know, one of the, the big um, issues that's still one of the big issues and will be for a, at least a couple more years is uh, the, the data privacy issue. So yeah. uh, I think that, you know, the pendulum is going to swing a couple more times, but we ultimately are going to be in control of our data um, and we'll decide who we share it with. And some people will make some bad decisions about that. But uh, the the uh, sort of the other side of your question is I think it's really smart businesses are going to have to be very clear about their brand identity and what they choose to offer to their customers. So Target uh, and Nordstrom are two really, really different brands um, that are are probably going to – so my guess is that Target is going to ultimately lose out to Amazon and and go away. Um, Nordstrom is a a high-end brand that is going to use all of this information for, for increasingly more personalized, tailored customer experiences that you're not going to be able to get from Amazon and people are going to be willing to pay for that. Um, But, but your grocery store example, I think there's going to have to be some AB testing and say, how do we balance surprising and delighting our customer with maximizing revenue and profits? Yeah. And and they're going to have to get, they're going to get smarter about that, which they can do now because the, the data can be collected and studied and they can do whatever segmentation analysis they want to and AB testing and learn about, what, how Dave responds differently to a coupon compared to Rick and decide right. what, what, what kind of experience. Like if, if Dave wants to be – so some days I want to be dragged through the grocery store and I don't even want to think about – you know because I'll often buy five or six of the exact same thing. I'm, I'm on autopilot. I don't yeah. want to be you – know, so different people want different things. So, and they'll, they'll be able to better figure that out very soon. Okay. So if I'm an organization that wants to start with this, like if, if the idea of having this – this model or this map of the different things that we have to be able to do. Um, if I don't have that, how would I go about beginning that? I mean, do I have to hire consultants to do that? Or is it something I can start to figure out on my own? Well, that's a good question. So, um, the, the it's, it's, um, you know, I think people can read books and articles and understand the concepts of capabilities, uh, or processes pretty well. I think the benefit of, uh, I'm not going to say you always have to hire a consultant, but uh, you'd be really smart to work with somebody who's got experience doing it. So whether that's an internal person or a consultant, right. uh, the, because there are always some examples and lessons learned and stories that uh, help you be successful faster. Sure. Uh, also help you not sort of you know waste time on things that aren't value added or, you know, the the, the – the, the, I mean, the good news and bad news about capabilities is that it's a pretty simple concept, but it's simple enough that people sometimes say, oh, I could do this on my own. I don't need <laughs> um, But there, there are enough things about it, particularly when you get into some of the value performance, change velocity conversation. And, you know, are we working on the right stuff in our backlog that it, it just helps to have done it a few times to sure. have the confidence that you're you're driving the right kinds of conversations? Because once you lose people's confidence that you're you don't really know what you're doing that's hard hard to win back yeah okay so i got one more question for you how does this fit in with agile well so as as we say you know the 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 three core principles for for leading agile are clarity in the backlog uh, organized teams and working tested software the capabilities help you so when i get to a backlog you know some organizations don't even have a backlog which is hard to believe but when i get to a backlog the language of the backlog is usually 
how language, process language, and it's and it's not. Uh, it won't often have outcome uh, performance language. Right. And so I can very quickly translate any backlog into capability language. And if in parallel with that, I'm doing the heat mapping to help value performance, risk, and change velocity in a pretty quick time frame, I can get to um, a, a, a good cut at whether they're working on the right stuff based on the feedback on the value and performance of the heat map. And because it's their own feedback about what they told me, but I'm not some you know, highly paid, you know, strategy consultant. I'm right. the, the, heat map, the heat map tool is a listening device. I'm asking them where the value and performance is. So I'm saying, well, based on what you told me about value and performance, we're not working on the right stuff. And it's just a different, because it's a different lens on the work that they've seen before. They're like, oh, wow, I never thought, I never connected those two things before. You're totally right. We need to change what's in our backlog. And so you never flush the whole thing, but you will often find that 20 or 30% of a backlog isn't aligned with the, what they think is most valuable and where the performance needs to be, which just drives some more conversations. Did we have the, do we have the right strategy? Cause it seems like this thing, we should be working on this thing that's in the backlog, but right now it doesn't seem to be aligned with our strategy. And so you either change your strategy or you change or the you backlog. Take a little more priority list. So you get to it in time, but it's not as high a priority as you thought it was. So do you find that organizations are pretty receptive to that? Like one, I've noticed that sometimes the dissonance that the dissonance that is caused through that kind of transparency just they don't even want to look at it. Or do you find that they're pretty? If they're going through this process, they tend to be pretty open to it and they want to have visibility into it. Uh, it really, it's gonna. It depends on the individuals. Um, so what happens in a lot of cases is you know so um, if a company is like a, a family-owned company. Uh, that doesn't have a lot of like shareholder reporting or you know public market reporting. They're probably not going to have a lot of transparency in terms of um, overall performance, and so it's going to be a new thing for them to have that kind of granularity on what drives performance and what performance uh, matters. Right. So that's be a cultural change for them. A lot of the executives will want it, but it will be met with resistance by some of the managers who may not be spending their time on the most efficient things and kind of feel like this is a pretty sweet gig. I can do whatever I want to and nobody <laughs> really holds me accountable. Yeah. So it ends up, it, it changes the level of accountability for an organization. Okay. Uh, and some people are looking for that and some people don't want that spotlight, you know, shined in the, the dark corner where they've been hiding for a while. Yeah. Cool. All right. So if folks, I know you've got to go. So if folks want to learn more about capability mapping, what is the best way for them to reach you? Oh, I'm just LinkedIn is probably the easiest. Uh, I have a funny way of spelling my first name. It's just R I C. And once you get that far, there aren't too many of us out there. And, and, and Rick Merrifield on LinkedIn is an easy way to find me. Okay. And I'll make sure to include a link to that as well as to your books. And do you want to plug your big news, the thing that's about to come out? Because I'm going to add that link in as soon as it goes live. Oh, that I did the, the, the uh, TED, TED talk. talk. Yeah. 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 So that was a, on how technology is going to improve our life with the asterisk that it's not yet doing that. Uh, that was a, it was fun to do the Ted talk and uh, that should be out any day now. All right. And as soon as that's live, we'll put that here and hopefully we'll get to do, to do another interview about that as well. Thank you cool. very much for your time this morning. All right. Thanks Dave. Cool.